We are so grateful that you rose out of the graves so that we can find our way out of the graves. And here in this room and online this morning are lives that you created, are lives that are fallen, but are lives that are also redeemed by the power of your resurrection. Lord, as we worship you this morning, may we find ourselves continuing to set aside those things that distract us from the beautiful, glorious day that stands before us, but the one that you have brought into our life now. May you help us to focus on this Sabbath, on the beauty of your righteousness, the endearment of your love for us, the power of your right arm to make things happen for your glory in our lives. And may we not shy away from worshiping you and loving you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. For Lord, you created us to be in relationship with you and you created us to worship you now and forevermore. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for worship team. We're going to continue our worship here this morning, and uh, we're going to worship by the word of our testimony. I don't know if you see it as part of worship, but every now and then at the awakening, we have the opportunity to just take some moments and circle up as a family and hear maybe what God's been doing among us. So a couple of weeks ago with men's group on Saturday morning, men, a lot good men turning out on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m., good to have you. A couple of weeks ago, though, I asked this question. I'm going to ask it to us as a whole congregation today. What has been the God sighting in your life so far this year? What has been the God sighting in your life so far this year where you can give a word of testimony and said, God showed up here. And you give a witness. Scriptures say that they overcame the enemy by the word of their testimony, the testimony of God's work in your life. We uh, finished up a series last week uh, on broken relationships. We had a good time at the sweetheart dinner last night, and Pastor Trey spoke, continuing on that theme of being able to have good, healthy relationships, especially in the confines of marriage. But maybe your God sighting was something that happened through the last series that we were a part of. Lynn gave a testimony last week, powerful testimony of God continuing to work in her relationship, a broken relationship with her father over 30 years. So maybe your God sighting is something that's been referenced of what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. Maybe it's something different. But I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Zach, I guess he's back there, he's got the mic. If you have a word of testimony to continue our worship this morning, saying, I saw a God sighting in my life when this happened so far this year. Stand, give your first name, and uh, don't feel ashamed or awkward. You're just among, we're, we're sitting around family table here. And uh, just give a shout out to God about what he's doing in your life. And uh, we'll just take a few here this morning as they, they may be. Sometimes it starts off slow, but who would raise their hand and say, I got a God sighting. I want to give a word of praise and testimony as worship today. Over here, so we'll start over this direction. Good deal. Stand up, give your first name, and you're good, and go from there. And Ben's going to be given testimony, too. Yes. Is that on, Zach? than the disciples did and I think I, I want to see that here like you know our world seems sad and down so I thought it'd be amazing to see miracles anyway fast forward um, the end of September I had a bout of severe pancreatitis for seemingly no reason I not alcohol there was no reason for me to have it anyway um, 
40% of my pancreas was dead. They call it necrotic. So only 60% working. And I was told that um, most likely it wouldn't heal. Nobody knew if the pancreas will regenerate itself. So I just found out. So I had my husband call the health group here immediately. I'm so blessed to be part of this group. These ladies who pray for each other. It's amazing. Sorry. And um, anyway, I had a CAT scan a couple weeks ago, and my pancreas is 100% working. None of it is dead. It's a miracle. Praise God. Rachel, that's a what a praise. That's a God sighting. Many of us have been praying for you. I know the health group, the moms of special needs kids, and that's great. Good. Someone else, a God sighting, something that God's been doing in your life. Something that maybe you didn't expect, and there it was. Is that who I think that is? Yes, it is. <laughs> Hello, Carrie. Um, I'm Steven. I miracle today is I finally made it back to what I consider my home church. It's been a long time and a long journey, and uh, God's been blessing me all the way, and I thank you. <laughs> Steve, it's good to see you. You've been on another journey, but you're here. God bless you. That's great. See, sometimes we forget what uh, God's been doing in our life, and it's uh, good to have a moment where you pause and listen and remember. Someone else? Was there a hand there in the back? You got it. Uh, my name is Naya, and ever since I've been praying to God, like I've been help, how, asking him to help me with my mental health and everything, and everything's been better ever since. Like, I've been good, I've been respectful, I've my grades going up and everything like that. So I just wanted to say thank God and <laughs> hopefully I get even better in the future. Oh. <laughs> oh, I love that testimony. There's gonna be many more God sightings in your life as you grow. That's good. Like was there someone up in here? All the way up front, Zach? I just want to give you everyone a word of testimony and encouragement. Um, I'm Angela's mom, but I've been reading in Second Kings, which I testified to Pastor last week, that now I'm over to Second Chronicles. <laughs> but I came on Second Kings three, and that was where Elisha was the prophet at that time, and uh, there were three kings that were uh, Israeli kings. They were king of Edom, Israel, and, and anyway, all three of them had went to war against Moab. They were always fighting against something. And so, as we do, we fight for our salvation and our ministries from the evil one, but we overcome. So they said, who can we go to that will answer our, our prayer? And the prayer was, they had traveled all over 700 of them. They had all of their cattle with them because they didn't have any food. They had to bring it. There was no rain and no wind the whole time, over seven days, and they were, they were thirsty and starving. And they said, who can we call on? Well, <clears throat> the one man said, well, Elisha is a prophet at that time. Let's go to him. He hears from God. And this church hears from God. And so Elisha, they went to him and they said, there's no wind and there's no rain. And uh, the Moab, the Moabites were gonna kill all of us. We're gonna be slaughtered. Anyway, Elisha said, um, well, they had a little problem with Jehoshaphat, but he did it anyway. And because Jehoshaphat was son of Ahab and Jezebel, that's not good. But anyway, he said, I'm gonna do it anyway. So he, he Elisha said, okay, call for a musician. Get this, church. Call for a musician. And they did. When the musician began to play, God filled. They had had trenches and valleys with no water. God filled the trenches. He filled the valleys with water, with no rain, no rain. He did it. God did it. That's what God is to save yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you can't tell me 
that God won't do it again. And I'm telling you people right here today that God's filling your trenches. He is ministering to your pastor and to this congregation with music, worship, and he's filling this church. And water is the Holy Spirit. It prefigures the Holy Spirit. He's pouring out this water to, to everybody, to this church, the awakening, and there will be more and more awakening. Your church will be blessed. There's going to be abundant supply of water for this church and that Holy Spirit to this pastor, to his ministry, to the ministry of worship and music. I'll guarantee you one thing. People won't be in heaven going like this. That ain't going to happen. Oh, if you're in heaven and you're looking at Jesus, you're going to bow down. You're going to dance. You're going to worship. That's good. You won't keep your hands at your side. Thank you. So why we don't want to do that here now. Right. So I encourage you. I encourage you. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your body, and your strength. Love the Holy Spirit and worship now as you're going to be worshiping later in heaven. I love Amen. you all. Thank you very much for letting me Thank share. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the word. All right, a couple more. Just words of testimony. God at work in your life, in our life as a church family. I suppose if you're watching online, you got a word of testimony, you can text it in, right? That's good. Anyone else? You might think it's something small, but it's not. Because it may encourage somebody on the other side of the room. Hi, I'm Lynn, and I just want to share, I have a really close friend, and two of her daughters have gotten into the porn industry, even though she raised them to know the Lord, and um, we ended up praying together, really taking these two girls before the throne of God, and praying for them to be loosed in the name of Jesus, and within the week, another friend of hers, who she hadn't talked to in years, totally out of the blue, called her and was like, hey, what's going on with your girls? Are they okay? Not really even knowing. And, and the friend said, the Lord is having me pray for them. Mm. And so what a testimony that when we pray for people, God is working and we might not see it, mm. but he's working. So our prayers are really powerful and effective. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thanks. All right. One more person. Um, I, I know we've, this I've been Debbie. worried, I'm Debbie, <laughs> um, I've been worried a little bit about the rain because we haven't had very much, you know, and I just felt like God, um, was speaking to me and saying, even if one person prays for rain, then he'll hear. And so I prayed for rain and we got it last week and we're getting it next week. So there you go. That's good. I'm going to have Zach give a few announcements to us in a second, but I want to pray again because I know some of you find it very hard to give a word of praise because you're standing in the need of prayer. If you're standing in the need of prayer, a burden on your life, maybe a friend's life, will you stand and then we're just going to pray together. Those individuals that have that burden that you're praying, just as surely as what uh, Lynn said there about this friend's daughter's you got the burden you're carrying. Maybe that person is standing around you. You can just join with them in spirit to pray for that individual. We know not each other's needs. And sometimes the scripture says we do not know how we ought to pray, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with words which, and groans which words cannot express. Lord Jesus, you see these individuals standing in the need of prayer today. They carry a burden. Lord, may that burden in prayer turn into a God sighting in the coming weeks. May they find themselves in the coming weeks standing to give acknowledgement, as surely as Rachel did here, of the healing, uh, physical healing in her life, to say God showed up and he's been ministering there, or the young man there in the back, about how God's been able to encourage him in his life. So Lord, you know the particular needs here. We pray for one another. Lord, may it be a physical need, maybe it's a spiritual need, an emotional need, a relational need, a financial need. 
Lord, you know. And so we lift them to you. And we pray, God, that you would be effective in answering the prayer that's offered in your name for you to be glorified. Lord, we want to see realignment. We want to see change happening. But Lord, we want you to be glorified through it. And so we can continue praising you and worshiping you through the word of our testimony of what you're doing in our lives, our families, our social arenas, maybe our community. Lord, we offer these prayers to you, knowing that you're powerful and effective, and we join together in praying one for another. Your word says we have not because we ask, ask not, for we ask amiss. And so, Lord, in your name, we ask, may you be glorified. Amen? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for, oh, that's really hot. Well, guys, this is one of the things I love about our church is that we get time to be able to share what God's doing in our lives. And, you know, all of us are a part of different ministries. I know myself, I'm a part of, you know, youth ministry and some of the outreach stuff that we do. I've gotten the privilege to be able to be a somewhat of a part of the young family small group, too. And I love hearing the stories outside of my groups to be able to hear what's going on and what's going on in our church community, because that is what we are about at the Awakening Church, is our larger church community in that. And so if you guys are new to the Awakening, you guys are just kind of checking things out for the first time, what you guys saw today was kind of our DNA of our church, is we want to be checking in with you guys and be able to figure out how can we be praying for you? What are the praises that are going on in your life? How can we get you involved and build community, whether it's a life group or something else? But if you guys are new with us, one of the best ways for us to be able to get in contact with you or to be able to hear those prayers or praises is through those connect cards right in your seat backs in front of you. And so you guys can just pick those up, just fill out a few uh, short things about yourself. We'll have somebody just kind of reach out to you guys and just see, hey, where are you guys at? Do you guys want to plug into a small group? Are you still trying to figure things out? You know, but we want to be able to get to know you guys. You can place those in the baskets in the back as well. But we love having you guys here. If you have any questions about anything, Pastor Carrie or I will be out in the lobby, or you can ask people around you, and I'm sure they can point you to somebody who um, is either leading a small group or something else like that. We have those Awakening Life groups throughout the week. If you guys are interested in those, mark that Connect card. Ladies, there's lots of groups for you guys. Um, we actually have cards in the back for you to be able to kind of look at so you can figure out, hey, which night of the week works best for me, which group works best for you. So those cards are out in the back. Men, we are meet here on Saturdays, and we'd love to be able to have you guys out for that. Our Awakening Student Ministries um, is Wednesday nights from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. We've been going just through a series on decisions in life. Some leaders have been sharing their testimonies, but it's all about questions that you may have in life or these students may have as they make the decisions as they're up and coming into young adults, into adults, and wherever they end up in life and allowing God to lead them in that decision-making. And so come check that out if you are 6th through 12th grade. If you know a 6th through 12th grader, that's Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8.30. We're also going up to Idlewild Pines this weekend, February 25th through 27th. We're looking for that. Technically, registration is closed, but if you have a student that wants to go, come talk to me personally <laughs> because I don't want to leave anybody out in this, and camp is such an amazing experience to be able to grow and to grasp on to an intimate relationship with Christ, and we want to instill this into our students at a young age. We also have on Saturday, February 16th, or February 26th, from 9 a.m. to 12, we have Ministry to Hurting Kids Seminar. This is how trauma impacts the kids we love and what to do about it. Pastor Oliver will be leading this. You guys don't have to be involved in children's ministry. You can just have grandkids and come out to this thing. But come talk to Pastor Oliver after service to be able to register for that. Love to be able to have you guys there February 26th at 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. 
We also will be having our all-church gathering. Um, it's going to be after service, March 13th. We're going to have a bunch of In-N-Out burgers. One of the lovely things about being this close to In-N-Out is they, we can get burgers pretty easily and they'll be fresh. So mark your calendars, March 13th. Invite your friends. We love to be able to have people. It's just going to be a time for us to be able to gather together and to be able to continue to grow in relationship with each other. And lastly, our tithes and offerings. Easiest way to be able to do that is to text the word AWAKENING to 77977. It'll send you to an easy and secure link to be able to set up a one-time giving, a recurring giving. We'll also have our offering envelopes in the back if you're here with us in person as well. Guys, I love getting to know each and every one of you guys throughout the week. If you're new here, please come up, talk to us. We want to hear your story. want to hear what God's doing in your life and how we can personally be praying for you. Middle school, you guys can go ahead and stand up. Go out and wait out in Venue D for me to get out there. You'll be out there with me today, but I'm going to invite Pastor Carrie out for us. Are you good with languages? Like learning a language that's maybe not your own language? I have one language I know and you're hearing it right now. It's English. I have tried at different times to speak other languages, but for whatever reason, for all the cognitive things I think that God's blessed me with, that I can't get that put together. How many of you speak more than one language? See, I'm not alone. Good job for those of you who do, but I struggle with that. But then I remember, you know, the first time that I, 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 well, when I learned my first language, how did I learn it? I learned it coming out of the womb. I didn't know it, but I would hear it. I would hear things that were around me, and I began to associate it, and I have no idea what my first word was, whether it was mommy or daddy or, you know, ball or something like that. But somewhere, you start to cognitively put it together. When you hear another voice, you begin to mimic that voice, and the best way, they say, to learn languages is to be immersed in the culture. And then you're forced to learn it, right? There's no other option, no other way. And I've had some friends that have done that. I've gone overseas or different cultures, and they say, I'm just going to learn the language kind of thing. And it's hard, it's challenging. But you learn a language because you learn to imitate, and then it's not just imitation after a while. It becomes your own voice, and your own voice you become comfortable in, and you realize that the language and the voice that you're speaking has definition to it and represents things in life. So, languages. We learn our first language by imitating the voice of what's around us. But you know what? There's something else that begins to happen to us in life when we're little, and we begin to listen to voices related to who we are or what values are important. And those voices come from our parents. Maybe they come from some extended relatives. And we begin to sometimes imitate those voices and those values in life. And then sometimes later we begin to question them, of course. But more often than not, the voices that sometimes we hear from others are not voices that build us up but they're often voices that tear us down. Did you have some of those voices in your life? Oh, you're good for nothing. I never did quite figure that one out, good for nothing, but then you said something. So, I, you know, you don't do that, or you're, you're really bad at that. I can't believe you can't cut that paper straight, or you can't color inside the lines. Come on, do it this way. Step up there and hit that ball off that tee. You can do it. Oh, he'll never catch on anything. And gradually we pick up and we internalize the voices around us, and it starts to give us sort of our interior uh, narrative, our sense of self-worth. Well, I want to challenge us in a new series that we're beginning today to listen to a voice that's not a negative voice, but it's the voice of God speaking into your life about who you are, your value, and your worth. 
Because life can be challenging. Maybe you've come out of something pretty difficult recently. You've been pushed down. You've been badgered. You're thinking ill of yourself. And the voices around you are confirming it. Well, the voice of the Holy Spirit wants to break through in your life in these weeks as we look at something to give you not just inspiration and hope related to, hey, go out there and give it the college try, but redefines your interior life, redefines the narrative, the story of your life. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at a letter. It was a personal letter that was written by the person who they say would be like the founder of the church. And that's St. Peter. St. Peter listened to a lot of bad voices when he was following Jesus. But as he got older, he grew in wisdom and knowledge and understanding and his identity. And he would encourage others that were a part of the church, which is the followers of Jesus Christ. And he would exhort them. And his later years, he wrote a couple letters that we have recorded in our Bibles, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And those letters were written to encourage Christians concerning their identity and their story. And so today we're going to start this series, Studies in 1 Peter, and we've called it Unshakable. Unshakable Hope in Uncertain Times. Hope in Uncertain Times. And with this series, I trust if you're wobbly a little bit, you'll come to a place of strength and power in your life, that you'll be unshakable because of the truth, because of the narrative that's true of who you are. But I want to begin with this question. What is the narrative that guides you? What is the voice? What, what is the um, storyline that you've bought into and that you're living out. You see, we mimic the voices around us, and then we begin playing that out in our life. I think um, there's a lot of roadblocks sometimes because other people see us a certain way, but we don't see ourselves that way. And we're literally, we're deaf. We're deaf to the idea that something could, could be different about our life story. Oh, this is who you are. You're a, are you a lazy person. You're not going to go anywhere. Or that's all the better you're going to get with that music. Or that's all the better you're going to get in that sport. You'll never make any more money than that. You know, you'll never have any. And so we sort of cower ourselves into this narrative about our own life. And we end up living that. You know, they say when, when you're working with people of poverty, it's not just that they need help physically, monetarily, but the more you work with people in poverty, and maybe you have that part of your story, there's this sense of hopelessness. I, I can never break out of this. I would never be able, you know, recently around here, we were trying to help someone that we felt would, you know, be able to get off the street and do something, uh, you know, more robust with their life and that kind of thing. And and it never materialized. It's disappointing. And we're like, well, what do we do with that? Well, you know, the reality is, I don't know. It's not that the person doesn't want to change. They don't think they can change. So they are in a state of hopelessness because they've bought into a narrative about their life. And that's where they've just sort of settled it out. And a lot of times this will happen to us as we get older. And we say, oh, I'm just sort of set in my ways. You can't teach an old dog new tricks kind of thing. Well, wait a second. Who says that? Why can't you expand? Why can't you see change? Have you bought into a narrative? You know, I'm a, I like basketball. We're stepping into March Madness. This is one of my more favorite times of the year, right? Just put all the games out there. Let's just, you know, become addicted watching game after game after game. I come from the Midwest, so I'm sort of a Big Ten fan. And uh, I was talking to a couple people. My wife and I got away for our 31st anniversary this week for a couple days in Palm Springs, which was nice. Mm. 
that's, that's for my wife. She's put up with me for 31 years, so that's good. And, um, you know, there's a couple guys hanging out at the place, and uh, they were Big Ten fans as well. And one guy actually kept the score for Wisconsin Badgers, and I thought, wow, that's pretty good. You need to get back because the season's not over. And so we had a little talk there, and another guy was from Purdue, and so I'm a Purdue fan as well as an Indiana fan and those kinds of things. But I, um, I was thinking about my own life as it related to basketball a little bit this week. I love playing basketball. I was a scrawny guy, though. I was, like, really skinny. I felt that I had the smarts for certain things, but if you took me and you put me underneath the basket inside, I got beat up really bad. And our basketball team, thankfully, had some big dudes. They had some big guys. So what my position was is I played on the exterior. Even though I really couldn't shoot the ball that well, I could sort of run the team. And I was six foot three. I still think I'm six three. My wife says I'm six two now. I'm starting that shrinking thing. But you know, I was six three, and we were at it. And you know, we have a good senior year. And there's a story about my senior year. I'll tell you some other time, which wasn't too made too happy. But I always had the identity that I'm a guard. I play the perimeter. I sort of run things. But that narrative got pushed there because. Well, you can't hold your own underneath the basket, or you're too scrawny, or we got big guys to do that. You don't need to be down there. Well, then as I got older and I started getting outside of, you know, the scene of the, you know, the organized basketball world back into college, that kind of thing, you start to realize that 6'3 is not that short. 6'3 can play underneath. 6'3 can, and you can tell I'm no scrawny guy anymore. You know, it's like, I can, I can sort of throw some weight around, that kind of thing. But the narrative that was in my head was that I'm not a good interior basketball player. And now I think about it, I, I really could have honed that skill. I could have worked with that. But the voices that were speaking into my life was, hey, you stay out front. You, you sort of run the team stuff and you pass the ball to the good shooters and that kind of thing. Well, I settled for less than maybe I could have been as a basketball player. I'm not saying I should have been one of the big guys underneath, but I could have done that. Why? Because we have voices around us that sort of speak into our life, and it begins to frame an interior narrative. That's who I am. An internal voice oftentimes is a voice from the past. It's a voice from the past that causes us to settle in the present rather than expand ourselves for the future. And this voice issue that we're going to look at in 1 Peter is an eternal voice about our future. It's an eternal voice about our future that's related to our present identity of who we are if you're a Jesus follower today. And if you're not a Jesus follower today and you're just sort of a God check around kind of person or church check around kind of person, then what you're going to find is that what we're going to be talking about in 1 Peter is immensely valuable to you because this could be your new identity. It could be part of your new narrative of life. You see, 1 Peter was written by Peter himself, who, as we sometimes know, if you know the life of Peter, is a little bit of a knucklehead. He was a fisherman, Jesus called, to come follow him, and he would always be sticking his foot in his mouth, he would be making bumbling things, right? He got rebuked by Jesus pretty hard one time. Jesus thought Satan was actually speaking through him, that's how bumbling that was. He was uh, trying to write his own narrative about him being more popular than some of the other guys. He denied Jesus at the cross when he was asked about it. He, he bumbled his way through several things. But what you find is Peter started to have a narrative about his life that changed from I'm just this bumbling fisherman to I am somebody who's not just a follower of Jesus Christ, but somebody who is empowered by the power of Jesus Christ for a destiny that's going to alter and radically change who I am and the people that are around me. The letter of 1 Peter is going to address this issue. Are there voices that call us to the future? There are voices that call us to the future and voices that keep us bound to the past. And we have to decide 
what voice will define us and what story we choose to be in. We have to decide what voice we're going to listen to and what voice is going to define that story for us to look at into the future. I um, was thinking through this as it related to just Scripture as a wholesome, and um, I realized that from the very beginning, with Adam and Eve, remember that storyline? Here's Adam. He's created. He's supposed to rule and reign over the garden. He's called to name all the animals. He's given a lot of power and authority. And, and Adam, he's living in paradise, right? And he's thinking, man, this is great. It doesn't get much better than this. And God causes him to fall asleep. And when he wakes up out of that sleep, God has created woman. And then that Peter, I mean, then Adam said what? Man, it just got better than I ever thought it could be. And so Adam and Eve take off on this storyline. But then there's a voice that invades the storyline of God's beauty and perfection. And that was the voice of the serpent, Satan. And what did that voice tell Adam and Eve? Are you serious? Are you serious? You're going to believe that God, that, that he's got your best interest in mind when he told you not to eat of that one tree in the middle of the garden? The tree of knowledge of good and evil? Are you serious? And that voice, that chattering voice, began to cause them to doubt and to rethink through their narrative and go, you know what? I think that serpent might be right. I'm missing out on something. But God was protecting them. That's why he gave them the freedom of choice. But then he said to stay away from that because they'll lose their innocence and other kinds of things. Then there was the tree of life. And if then they ate a part of that, then they're forever you know, locked into that thing. So the whole story gets unpacked there. But what happened was there was a voice that invaded their life that began to speak ill and cause them to doubt and go a certain direction. A certain direction that was the fall of mankind. The voices. What's the voice of your past? Is it writing a narrative still in your life? Or is there a voice from the future that can speak into your present that can alter and change your life? You see, what was happening in that day with Peter was that the church, those who were followers of Jesus Christ, the church that as it was beginning to work its way through, um, that they were in a place of dire persecution. They feared for their very life. And they felt that there was going to maybe be death around the corner. And they were discouraged. They were weighted down. And so he writes them this letter to wake up, to wake up and listen to the voice of God concerning the narrative of which they're presently in. And what they were presently in was some dire circumstances around them culturally but they were also facing the reality of death and they became what i would refer to as a myopic person you know what that is someone has blinders on it's just looking at one center thing and peter was writing them to say open your vision for what the true storyline is in your life some of you know who woody allen is he was a comedian writer of um, film developer, that kind of thing. Well, Woody Allen came from a, a Jewish background, uh, but he's an atheist. And uh, one of his funnier things concerning death is this. It's not that I'm afraid to die, Woody Allen said. I just don't want to be there when it happens, right? But there's another saying that he has that really speaks more of the interior part of his soul and some of the fear issues that would be found there from the voices maybe he has bought into through the journey of his life. And it's this quote. The fundamental thing behind all motivation and activity is the constant struggle against annihilation and against death. It's absolutely stupefying in its terror, and it renders everyone's accomplishments meaningless. What he's saying there is he's haunted. He's haunted by the reality of death and the brevity of life. Is this it? 
You're born, you live 70, 80, 90 years, you're extinguished, you're annihilated, you cease to exist, and that's it. Well, if that's our storyline, if that's the narrative that I'm actually a part of, then it sort of, you know, takes away everything and renders everything that I've accomplished as nothing. Maybe you come out of a background where you've doubted God's existence, where you are uncertain as to if there's something eternal or not. I want to encourage you today that you've bought into the voice of a storyline that's seeking to undermine and destroy who God created you to be. And the Apostle Peter, he had matured in life. His bumbling errors and his sin, God had corrected. And God called him out to be the rock. That's what Peter, Petros, means. The church was established on the truth that Peter declared, that Jesus was the Messiah. And then the church was built 2,000 years ago by people one to another becoming followers of Jesus and opening their hearts and minds to the greater narrative, the greater storyline, that this life is not all that there is. There's more to this life, and it's not just in the here and now. It's in the eternal realm as well. It's not just in the physical, natural things that I see, but there's a spiritual realm that happens. Some of your God testimonies this morning were tapping into the spiritual realm of God being at work in ways you can't see, but behind the scenes he was, and we prayed for one another into a spiritual realm. And Peter became strong like a rock. And Peter gave exhortation to a group of struggling Christians. And he told them that they needed to listen to a different voice and they needed to understand that the narrative that was being written in their life was not a narrative of the grander wonder of God in His kingdom. And so he pulls out his pen he pulls out his pen and he begins to write. And he writes what is referred to as a, a general epistle. And the general epistle is what it means. It's general. It wasn't written to a specific person. It wasn't written to a specific church. It was written to a constituency of people in a particular area. And that it would be passed around. This letter was probably written in the mid-60s A.D. It was a time when Nero... Uh, was emperor of Rome, and Christians were being persecuted. They were being persecuted and put to death. The cultural environment of that day had greatly eroded, and there was opposition against the Christian faith by which these early disciples and followers of Jesus had been excited about and began to spread around the whole Mediterranean Sea. And then the government came down and started impose persecution, and even death. And there was a scattering. Just as surely as if there's a bunch of people together for a party and gunshots go off, bang, 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 bang. What happens? People scatter. Let's get out of there. And so the Christians, a lot of the Christians that were in Rome at the time, when the persecution happened, and it was some pretty intense stuff, if you know anything about Nero, they were literally tar and pitch some Christians and put them on poles and then torch them so they would light the city on fire you see it was the turning and when when rome burned that's when nero blamed it he had to blame it on somebody so he began to blame it on the christians oh look it's them i sort of have to i guess it's a smile but internally it's probably not a smile when i see blame being thrown around in our culture today on one people group to another people group and blame that's being thrown sometimes on the Christian body of people, you're like, nothing ever changes. People want to blame somebody rather than owning up to their own failures as a country or a nation or the sin. And this is what is happening in Rome. Nero said, that's those Christians. Bang, bang, bang. They just start to scatter. It's called the dysphoria, a displacement of people. And a lot of them fled to what's today modern-day Turkey. It was referred to as Asia Minor then, just north of Israel and Syria and that area. And so Peter hears and he knows about these Christians. He's traveled that world. Ephesus was a part of that, which is a big major city kind of player, right, in the New Testament. 
And so he writes this letter, he pens this general epistle to the dysphoria, the Christians who were scattered, and these Christians in many ways were running for fear of their life. They were discouraged. That which they believed to be true, they still believed to be true, but they were weighted down. They were oppressed by the culture. There were uncertain times at hand, and they did not know what to do. Do we just bunker away in fear? Is this going to be my story? Is it going to end here? Peter says, I need to speak to you a different voice. And this is a voice from the future that's going to help redefine your present and help you understand these voices that still are coming to you, even from the past. And so in 1 Peter, he starts the epistle out this way. Epistle simply means letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, referring to those who have chosen to be followers of Christ. Exiles, how about that word? Exiles scattered throughout the providence. And he, may, he names a few of these. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. If you looked on a map, they're all scattered there in modern day Turkey. And so he writes this general letter to these exiles who are bunkered down in uncertain times. It's one of the most beautiful greetings of a letter, actually, in the New Testament. Referring to these people who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. So there you have the beginning of the letter. Good old Peter, man. In his later years, who's gained some strength, and he's the rock. Right into the dysphoria, the exiles that are scattered, running for their life, bunkered in, fearful. And he says, hey, heads up. Let's give some acknowledgement of who you are. And he speaks here of God the Father knowing them and sanctifying, working through his spirit, and then he steps into his exhortation, and this is what you find in 1 Peter 3. Praise. As the testimony was today. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. It's not like, you know, I... <laughs> Not like he sits down, he's writing a letter, he goes, oh, oh, turns into the Eeyore thing, right? What a terrible day. We're running through our life, we're going to be killed, nothing good's going on today. Was that his disposition? No, here's Peter, he writes to them and he says, praise be to God! Hallelujah! Let's sing it again, right? Our Lord Jesus Christ, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. So if you walked in today, and you're down and out, I'm not saying, hey, suck it up, rise above it, and don't you know, share your wounds, because we're family, right? We prayed for one another. But in your interior life, the narrative, the voice that's speaking, you need to rise up and listen to the voice of God through the Apostle Peter and know that you have been born anew into a living hope. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he has conquered death, and there is no situation in your life. Maybe it's not healed in this life, maybe it's healed in the life to come, but your destiny is a living, eternal hope. And that hope is here today. That hope is here today wherever you're at. You serve a living God. You don't serve a dead Buddha. You don't serve a dead Muhammad. You serve a living Savior, the Messiah. And because he rose from the dead, and he's drawing people to himself, and he's gone to prepare a place for us, we come back in this present age not trying to dull our senses to the pain and the suffering there we may be in because they were in pain and suffering. But he doesn't start off with, whoa, man, you got, a, you got it rough. Boy, I feel for you. Stinks to be you. No. 
He's not being dismissive. He knows the pain and the suffering that they're in, bunkering away. But he calls them to a different voice, a different narrative, one of a living hope. And so I just want to encourage us today that wherever we're at and whatever's going on in our life, it's not just to gloss over the pain and the hurt of it, but where are you going to go with your story? Where are you going to go with your story? Are you just going to sit in the mud puddle and sulk and pity poor me and get some other people to come sit in the mud puddle with you and go, woe's me? Or are you going to allow the voice of the Holy Spirit to work in your life? And so, bang, he starts right off the bat by praising God. He's given us new birth into a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He's reminding them a truth. He's reminding them of what it means to be a Jesus follower. Nobody would have been following that carpenter from Nazareth if he died and that was it. The reason people followed Jesus was because he rose from the dead, proven his deity, that he was God himself. And he's reminding them this living hope is based on the resurrection. That was their storyline. That's the storyline we still carry today with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a resurrected Jesus that we follow. And he is preparing an inheritance for us that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Verse 4, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He's given them context for their suffering. You are suffering because you are a follower of Jesus. Bang, 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 the gun went off. You guys scattered. Rightfully fearing death in one sense. But he says, remember who you are. And God's shielding you by his power and faith in him. And it has to do with this point of salvation. And the fullness of it will be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So he comes back and he identifies with them in the pain and the suffering in which they find themselves. And he says to them, I hear you. I know you're in suffering, but don't let the voices deter and change the narrative of what your future is and how that future changes the context for how you can live today. That's why the Apostle Paul, he wrote in 2 Corinthians this familiar passage, chapter 4, verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so, this is where the letter's going. The letter's going to deal with the reality of suffering Christians in uncertain times. And I believe the situation that we're in is one that's heading to more uncertain times. Sometimes I remember I would read letters like this when I was younger, and I'd think, well, that'll never be true a part of my life. But with cancel culture and some of the pushback against what's happening with the Christian faith and that that we see happening today, you know, maybe I will be up against persecution in some ways. Why do I bunker away and not tell people that I'm a Jesus follower? I just don't want them to react a certain way or you know, say something that would be very difficult for me to really grab a hold of and how to answer and and deal with all that. And so we cower away. And we worry. We worry about everything in this life. And we start to lose sight of the narrative of the life to come. Some of you may know who Malcolm Muggeridge is. Malcolm Muggeridge said this, The only ultimate disaster that can befall us, I have come to realize, is to feel ourselves to be at home on this earth. 
And what he's saying by that is don't allow your storyline to become myopic with just your problems or just this day and age. Don't become comfortable, if you will, just feeling that this is all there is, this home here on this earth. No, you are redeemed for a destiny, and that destiny is one of beauty. And that destiny is one of power, even in the midst of your pain and your suffering. I'm not um, personally even all that certain what God's going to speak to me about in this series. But I do know, as we stated here this morning, that this is important for me to hear, as well as for you. There are voices that call us to the future and voices that keep us bound to the past. We have to decide what voice will define us and what story we choose to be in. I want to be in the kingdom's story. What informs our soul forms our destiny. And so my simple question is, what narrative will guide your life even in the midst of your suffering during this season? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to re-sing, it's all right, that last song, Glorious Day. Glorious day refers not so much to the glorious day of the Lord's coming again and his return and us moving into eternity, but that glorious day where we came out of the grave and God broke through in our life. And I think some of this narrative is the narrative that um, you may be bound in today and you need to have a glorious day. I want us to look at that passage one more time in a different translation before we sing, though. Out of the English Standard Version, 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exclamation point, right? <laughs> According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're familiar with that term, born again. Jesus used it with Nicodemus, you must be born again kind of thing. But in this translation, it takes that born anew or born into, and or birthed into, and it says you've got to be born again. And that's so true. You and I have to be born again into this new story narrative. There has to be a glorious day of breaking through in your life where you say no to the old life, you say no to your sin, and you repent. Trey said it so well last night. It's a military term. You're going in this direction and you need to turn around and go this other direction. The glorious day when you repent and you turn to Jesus, invite him into your life to be the leader of your life, the one who's going before you to prepare a place for you someday, and you begin to walk into this direction and you break through into a new glorious day because you have become in that moment born again into a living hope. And all I can say here this morning is if you've never been born again, this is not a religious straitjacket for other people to look at you and mock you in. Being born again is transformation. You're born once with water, Jesus said. You're born again by the Spirit. And the Spirit of God may be speaking to you this morning that you need to repent, turn your life, and run in His direction. And you can do that through a simple prayer as we sing. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. You come into my life. I want to live for you. And I want to have a living hope even though there may be pain and suffering around me. And so I want us to worship God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to worship God because this morning, if you cross that line of faith, you are born again. This is your story. This is your narrative. You've been born into a living hope, and it's an inheritance, an inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power you are being, is being guarded through faith in this present age for a salvation ready to be revealed in the end, in the last time. Will you stand with me? Angela, Melissa, would you come and lead us as we close in worship 
because we have been born again into a living hope. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. We sang this one earlier. I want to hear all your beautiful voices worshiping to the King of Kings. Here we go. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind away? It was my dream. <laughs> Till I met you I was breathing the night All oh, my failures, all my failures I tried to hide It was my doom hey. Till I you called my name, you called my name. busted out. Think in terms of being in prison. 
and busting out into a freedom. That's the place that you are to stay in the whole week, a place of freedom. Imprisonment is oftentimes of the interior life. You may move around, you may drive your car wherever you want to go, but you have become imprisoned because of some storyline that says you're nothing more than that. But because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have come out of that grave. Amen. I want to encourage you this morning. It's good to see a great number of people here. Uh, last week we did a sort of spontaneous turn and greet, and I had to laugh because we hadn't done that for two years with the COVID. I'm very mindful of still COVID consciousness, all right? So don't feel obligated to do this. But there was something last week when Angela had us do that that just warmed my soul. And Angela and her husband Chris are new to our church, so they wouldn't have known our turn and greet time at the awakening has always not just been a little bit, hey, hi, how are you? Are you sit down. I mean, it got carried away sometimes, and I'm like, hey, this is not halftime. Everybody come back, okay? <laughs> but it was part of our DNA before COVID that we're just friendly people trying to get to know one another. Some of you are brand new this morning. Thanks for coming and checking us out. Some of you have returned for a second or third time. I try to greet some people at the door as well as the other pastors and that kind of thing. But don't feel awkward with that. And if you just want to walk straight by me, that's fine. <laughs> but I want us to be the family and the body of Christ. This letter to 1 Peter was addressed to a body of believers that were scattered. We've been able to gather today. And maybe there's someone that you just need to say hi to, get to know, that you've never met. Take on the embarrassment, ask them their name again, and you're like, yeah, I've been here for 10 years. That's fine. <laughs> I just permission granted. But there was a second thing I asked the men to do a couple, three, four weeks ago in our men's group. Asked the board to do the same. I don't know why, I just feel impressed to tell you this today because I just want it to be part of our DNA. Sometimes when you're talking to someone and they share a personal need, Maybe they were a person that stood in prayer. You don't have to invade the privacy of their personal world or their pain or their suffering that's going on. But sometimes it's helpful just to say in that split moment, not, oh, I'll pray about that. But let's pray right now. And that there would be a culture at the awakening to pray one for another in a moment. Doesn't need to be a long prayer. Doesn't need to be a special prayer. Lord knows the intent of your heart. Rachel, I love your testimony this morning. Me too. Your friends, the hell group prayed. Prayer moves the hand of God. He's powerful and active. So as you're dismissed, I want to officially, after two years of COVID, give you permission to greet one another in the name of Jesus. And if you want to put your hands up and say, not me, that's fine. Okay. No judgment here on anything. But it's time for us as a community. Some of you noticed it today when you came in. We packed in the chairs tighter than normal. <laughs> We'd spaced them out for COVID. And I said, I'm done with that. Plus, we're growing, so we needed more chairs. So <laughs> you just, you got to come early so you don't have to scoot through the person. Just come early, sit down front, that kind of thing. But this whole aspect of us sort of being scattered. Somebody that, um, uh, what's happened in the COVID things has been this awkward social distancing thing and all that kind of, we need to be together as the body of Christ. And I want us to be able to do that. This is somebody's phone that was left at the check-in desk. So it's up here and if you don't get it, I'll take it. And uh, no, just teasing. I'm now gonna dismiss you to do ministry. I'm gonna dismiss you to the ministry with one another in community. And now to him who has protected, secured our living hope until the day of Jesus Christ's return. May that spirit go with you as you greet one another and then you minister powerfully 
in the name of Jesus Christ.